of course, I wasn't saying all this at the time. I was saying the total opposite of this, which was that, you know, we need animals. Yeah. So, protein, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we need So I was saying at the time, we need animals for protein. I have canines. You know, uh, I was comparing myself to a lion. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 245. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami. Board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, hey, veggie lovers. I have a fantastic episode for y'all today, one that is filled with authenticity and honesty. It's so refreshing. It's such a good conversation. I left this conversation with such a good feeling in my heart and just that feeling of understanding some things, some aspects of how we relate to ourselves in the world. This episode, I had my guest, Dr. Manil Patel, and he is a general practice specialty registrar from London. He graduated from King's College, London, with an MBBS and a BSc in, with honors in neuroscience in 2016. A vegan since 2017, he has a keen interest in plant-based nutrition, health and fitness, and the power of lifestyle medicine in the treatment and prevention of chronic disease. He has completed the plant-based nutrition course at the University of Winchester, has a PG cert in medical education from King's College London, and is a member of Plant-Based Health Professionals UK. He has a background in powerlifting and strength training and does bodybuilding style resistance training in his spare time, earning him a feature in Men's Health Online. We definitely talk about that. He balances his day-to-day -day work as a GP registrar, whilst also teaching others about plant-based nutrition, fitness, and veganism using social media. Here, he also shows wonderful plant-based recipes to help power his active lifestyle and shows people you really can build muscle without the need for animal product. And the reason I say that this episode has so much honesty is because Dr. Patel's story of how he discovered and transitioned into veganism is such a good one that involved arguing online. It is such a great story. I love it. The irony of it is great. So I think you're going to enjoy hearing about that. We talk about how his way of eating has influenced his friends and family. We talk about his fitness journey from powerlifting to bodybuilding. If it's been difficult for him to pursue bodybuilding as a vegan, has that held him back? We talk about what a day of eating looks like for him. We talk about protein. One of the intentions of this episode was to focus a little bit on protein and different perspectives on protein intake. So we talk about that. 
We also talk about common myths and misconceptions about protein that he has encountered. And we get into body image, body image as a vegan and a plant-based eater, but also body image as a bodybuilder, somebody that got featured in a magazine with all the muscles defined. We talk about how has that impacted him? Was it difficult to get to that point where his body looked a certain way? And I asked him, was it worth it? Would he do it again? So you're going to have to listen to the episode to hear his answer. So this is a great episode. I do want to give a trigger warning. So if you are struggling with body image, if you are triggered by any talk about calories, restriction, definitely do not listen to this episode. This is definitely not for anybody that is struggling with disordered eating, body image, or any of that, please go ahead and navigate away from this episode because we do touch on those subjects. Like I said, it's a very honest, authentic conversation about some of these issues. It's very interesting. It's not promoting dieting or restriction, but we do have an honest conversation about it. So if you are in a vulnerable place, this is not the right time for you to listen to this episode. But otherwise, I think that you're really going to enjoy this. For my longtime listeners, thank you for being here. New listeners, welcome. Make yourself at home. Enjoy. I hope you listen to some of the other episodes and love it. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being there to listen to these episodes, allow me to do something that I so passionately love. And now let's welcome Dr. Manil Patel. Dr. Manil Patel, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. What a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that I found you, and it looks like you're friends with some of my virtual friends, although I have met them in person because I was in London over the summer, so I met the Bajakels. They're even better in person than virtually, so I'm <laughs> glad that you you get to run in all of the cool vegan circles over there. That's awesome. Did they spoil you as well when you came over? Oh, yeah. I got <laughs> chocolate. I got books. I got all kinds of stuff, so it was Amazing. great. So. I want to hear about you, though. Tell us about your vegan journey. How did you discover veganism and decide to adopt a plant-based diet? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a pretty funny story uh, and quite interesting as well. And I never get tired of telling it because I'm probably the last person on earth um, that people would think would go vegan. Um, like I used to eat a ton of uh, meats and, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I think it's something that people should know because, you know, it just shows that anyone can get you know find his way and come on this journey and you know i when i was uh when i was younger even though i grew up in a vegetarian household um men tended to eat meat and i tended to eat meat and then when i went to like high school or secondary school we call it here um i started it was a, it was an all boys secondary school so i was surrounded by other guys and you kind of get this feeling that it's macho to eat meat um so yeah i was eating a lot and it was I didn't even think about what I was consuming, really. The veganism was the last thing on my mind. It was, I thought of it as kind of, you know, I would never, I could never go vegan, is what I used to say. And then um, sometime in 2016, a few of my friends were going greyhound racing, like, you know, dog racing. I don't know if you guys have much of that there, but it's quite big in the UK. Um, it's kind of dying out, but it still happens. Um, and I said, oh, 
you know, I don't want to come, I'm not comfortable with it. You know, it doesn't sound very ethical. I don't want to be there. Um, so I didn't go. But um, when I said that in front of them, one of their girlfriends kind of said, but don't you eat meat? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I do eat meat. Um, I hadn't really thought about kind of the concept of the fact that I'm saying the nose to doing this on ethical grounds, but yeah, I'm consuming animal products all the time without really thinking about where they come from and stuff. So yeah, um, I kind of kind of got me thinking, but still didn't go vegan. And then towards the end of 2016, I was debating um, this vegan online. Like, you know, you get into these online arguments and discussions and I found myself agreeing with her kind of a lot. Um, and I couldn't really couldn't really argue my case really um, especially on the ethical grounds and the environment and things I really didn't have a leg to stand on um, and then sometime in 2017 I actually ended up dating this person <laughs> and uh, she took me to a um, well, she took me to vegan restaurants and I'll try vegan foods and I was still eating I was still eating animal products but you know I uh, I kind of got got kind of introduced to that kind of lifestyle but um, what really hit it was when I went to an animal sanctuary with her um, and I kind of saw these animals that were rescued and we volunteered there for the day, making kind of like the, like kind of making the beds for them and feeding them and things. And I was like, these animals have been rescued from people like me, you know? Um, and it kind of hit me there and then, and I was like, damn, am I going to, am I going to think, have to think about going vegan? So I went home and I was like, maybe I'm going to think about going vegan. And then I get sent a video by, um, Gary Urofsky, the greatest speech you'll ever hear. And I watched that and. That was it for me overnight on July 7th, 2017. I decided to just go vegan overnight and haven't looked back since. So that's how I came onto the veganism side of things. Yeah. But the plant-based diet part of it, I think, came a bit later. Because yeah, when I went vegan, um, I was eating a lot more uh, of the processed vegan foods, like mock meat and things. I was pretty much replacing that in my diet. That's what I was doing. Uh, I just took out the meat and replaced it with, the, the, you know, seitan or, or, or like really processed soy stuff. Um which, you know, I mean, it tasted it tasted good and it kind of allowed me to transition like over to a plant-based diet. But then I really learned more about plant-based nutrition when I kind of got involved with plant-based health professionals in the UK. And I went to a conference, um, the first kind of plant-based diet conference in the UK as well um, called VegMed. It was an international conference. So we actually had people from the States over. I think Dr. Neil Barnard was there. Dr. Michael Greger was there and a few other people. So you know, just learning more about nutrition kind of came that way. And I got more and more into plant-based nutrition. And then that kind of brought me onto lifestyle medicine as well. This is such an important aspect of lifestyle medicine is actually what we're eating and um, how what we're eating can really help um, help promote health and reverse chronic diseases as well. Wow. What a beautiful story. And I, you know, my heart kind of broke whenever you had that realization where you were at the farm sanctuary and you're like, oh my gosh, are these animals being saved from people like me? You're like, I admit I'm part of the problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Literally. Do you feel like literally. there was a, there's a part of you that's always been inclined towards that, but since you were kind of saturated, especially with the boys' school and, and you know, the culture around you of eating meat that you were kind of denying it or you had cognitive dissonance around it? Or do you really feel like it has been an evolution in your personality to get to the point where it's enough of a value for you that you're willing to change the way you eat? I think... <laughs> I think it's a bit of both really I think there was always I've always been an animal lover and I always used to say that I loved animals so I guess it was easier for me to empathize with them because I always 
you know, I, I grew up kind of watching things like Jungle Book and Tarzan and wanting to be there in the jungle with the animals. Um, all my favorite movies growing up were like animal related. So there was always something there that I had a sort of kinship with animals already. I was, you know, if I went to a house and there was a pet there, I'd be the first person on the floor playing with the dog. Um, so I always had that, being able to relate to them. But I think definitely as I've evolved as a person, um, thinking about my impact has definitely kind of allowed me to go beyond that cognitive dissonance that I did once have because I once was able to say I'm an animal lover while sitting in front with the stake in front of me you know I was still able to do that which takes a great level of cognitive dissonance to do that right um I think only when I really challenged the views I had um at the at the animal sanctuary after watching that video by Garyovsky only when you sit there and think you know are my are my actions aligned with my with my morals with what I believe and what I think is right um and they didn't, you know, and I had quite an emotional um, way into veganism, actually, when I, my response to the video by Gary Oski was tears. I cried for about 20 minutes. Um, that's the truth. <laughs> and I couldn't kind of then think, I couldn't really face myself thinking, you know, if I was able to, if I had that reaction to something so visceral, such a reaction to this, how can I then go back? So, yeah, I think it was a bit of both or something in me, but then it has been an evolution as well. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that argument that you were having online about, I'm assuming you're arguing the pro-meat side. How did you get into that yeah. debate? <laughs> I think, uh, again, I think it was just online. Someone posted a, a silly meme about kind of vegans and then it turned into a bit of like a, you know, in the comment section, people commenting and then I started saying, well, you know, the, the optimal diet for human beings is actually, you know, uh, high animal-based diet because you know humans used to hunt we you know we evolved in the plains of africa and we used to eat lots of game meat and all this stuff not not while thinking like we're no longer on the plains of africa um we're not eating lots of game meat we're actually farming animals uh billions of animals um every year are killed um you know environmentally the impact is huge you know you're using such ma la masses of land to do it um, you know, animal agriculture contributes to about, I think, 15 to 20% of all greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. It's the leading cause of um, deforestation in the rainforest. Of course, I wasn't saying all this at the time. I was saying the total opposite of this, which was that, you know, we need animals. Yeah. Right? Protein, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we need. So I was saying at the time, we need animals for protein. I have canines. You know, uh, I was comparing myself to a lion. All the common things I hear people say uh, to defend meat eating. When really all I could have said was it tastes good and I like how it tastes, you know, which is when I think about it now, a pretty selfish way to go about it. You know, I think the only real reason to justify animal products now is if you're living in a if you're living in a place where access to adequate amounts of protein and, and, and nutritional food, nutritious food is is scarce. So if, there's, if you're living in these kind of environments, um, you know, I wouldn't tell these people to go vegan. You know, you could. You could ask them to adopt a more plant-based diet for all sorts of other health reasons, but they may need to complement it with animal products in this situation. They can't go vegan. Even even ethically, I think, if they tried, their health would suffer, they would run into nutritional deficiencies. Things are not set up for these people. But the majority of people living in the world, especially in America, UK, Australia, like in the West, um, in Europe, we've got access to a lot more things and we can actually go vegan. So there's no real argument to be made there. Yeah, that's such a good point because that comes up so much, right? Like 
if you were stranded on a desert island and you only had a pig, would you eat it? You know, well, probably, yeah, if you're, you know, concerned about your survival, but that's really not the case for the majority of people. Mm. The majority of people have access and have the ability and we're in a different place now and we have different priorities. One of them is to protect our planet, but the other one is not just to survive, but to thrive. Mm. And when we're thinking about the difference between those things, yeah, we can survive on all kinds of things. Humans are resilient. Mm. We can survive on all kinds of things. But if we want to take the research that has been done, you know, both lab research and observational research and try to put together something that's actually going to support health, well-being, and longevity, that includes a lot of plants. And even if it's exclusively plants, I think we could still be thriving compared to a diet uh, that's the standard Western diet, which is high in processed foods and animal products. So really, really good points there. So has your way of eating influenced your friends or family? Um, so interestingly, yes and no. So no in the sense that my immediate family haven't gone vegan. Um, I thought they would by now, but no, they haven't. Um, so my mother's vegetarian, um, but my brother and my father, they both eat meat and they both eat animal products. Um, but the, the thing is with me going vegan, there's been a lot less animal products coming into the home, which means there's a lot less animal products being eaten in the home just by virtue of me not bringing them in. Um, so it, it's had a kind of knock-on effect that way that they've had to kind of change the, what they eat at home because of me, which is, which I think is a win um, because they've not complained about it either. They've kind of just gone with it and they enjoy my mum's uh, cooking as well because she cooks Indian food, which is largely vegan, vegetarian anyway. So that's been a plus. Um, but yeah, like my extended family have definitely cut down on their meat consumption. Um, you know, whether it's through being perceptively judged by me or is it um whether they actually um listen to any something I've, things i've been saying which is which is what i'd like to think anyway um and then kind of friends as well like two of my really good friends have actually gone vegan as well which um again one of them was much like me he, you know the last person you'd ever think would go vegan he's a bodybuilder he's a he was a powerlifter he owns a successful personal training and transformation company and even he's gone vegan um uh, just through kind of you know, discussions about it, um, thinking about the ethical side of things, about the environment. So yeah, it's been really impressive seeing his journey. And then another one of my friends who's a fellow doctor, he went vegan and that was really handy because um, I lived with him during the pandemic. So <laughs> having to share a kitchen with him was uh, really easy because, you know, he changed his habit as well. And the reason he went vegan was he has a pet cat um, and he has a pet cat. And when he was in Vietnam, he saw cats in cages because of course in some parts of the world, they eat cats and they eat dogs and that's, that's normal for some parts of the world right i think when he saw that for him it was kind of a light bulb moment kind of like well what's the difference between this cat in a cage and a chicken or a cow or a pig which is true right i mean what is the difference between all these animals anyway and if you look at it from a vegan lens there is no difference so yeah it's uh it's been interesting i think i didn't think anyone would go vegan just off the back of me going vegan but it seems like it's happened and then you know, kind of looking on social media as well. I've had people reach out to me saying that they've cut down the animal product intake. They've, some of them have actually gone vegan. Some of them have gone vegetarian at least. You know, so it's things are moving in the right direction. It's really encouraging to see that that um, kind of the message is getting through to people. 
Yeah. I mean, the ripple effect is real. And especially when you're influencing people who then have more influence with other people, it really translates into a lot of change and influence. So congrats on that. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk about powerlifting and bodybuilding. So when did you start powerlifting and bodybuilding? Was it before or after your vegan transition? And has it been difficult for you to pursue these hobbies as a vegan? Yeah, so actually, um, I started, I would say I started lifting weights back in, I think I was about probably before I turned 18, but I wasn't lifting them with any sort of kind of goal or plan or anything. It was kind of, we had a school gym and I'd go there every now and then to pump a few, you know, pump the biceps a bit, trying to, trying to put on a bit of muscle because I was quite a skinny, scrawny kid. Um, and I'm not the tallest person, so I thought if I can't get any taller, I'll have to get wider or something, you know. Um, but really, it was when I when I when I went to university actually. So when I went to medical school, um, I really got into powerlifting. Um, and the kind of the aim of powerlifting is to just get as strong as you can um, lifting in kind of the one repetition maximum. Um, so you're trying to get as strong as you can to pull off the the most weight you can off the floor, squat the most weight, or bench press the most weight. So it's a different type of training to bodybuilding. You're really working in the lower rep repetition ranges. You're trying to go for maximum power, maximum speed and strength, basically. Um, and yeah, it was it was really fun. It was really rewarding. I was part of like a group of guys that were doing it. Um, but this was long before I was vegan. So at the time, my nutrition was pretty much animal products, animal products, animal products. Um, and that was like that for the first, I think, I guess, started medical school in about 2010. So yeah, for the first first seven years of when I was lifting, it was pretty much eating animal products. Um, and I really only made the shift towards a more bodybuilding style type of training um, probably just before I went vegan, a couple of years before I went vegan. Uh, reason being is I had a bit of an injury setback uh, while I was in university um, whilst doing a deadlift. Um, so this is the, the importance of lifting with proper form. So if anyone, I, you know, I encourage people to lift and go, go to the gym um, and to, you know, and there's no such thing as a there are some unsafe exercises, but most exercises, if done safely and done well, you know, you, you can prevent injury. But, you know, I was lifting, I was tired, I was trying to lift really heavy weight, and I did did my back in. And then I think that put me off a bit going back towards powerlifting, which, you know, that's just what happened to me personally. So then I kind of started lifting what I called more bodybuilding style uh, sometime in 20, 2016. Uh, and I went vegan actually in 2017 after that. And, you know, um, I guess when I went vegan, I thought, how, you know, how am I going to, my, my main fear was, am I going to be able to continue like building muscle and progressing? Uh, you know, and I guess that brings you to the next question, which is, has that been difficult to produce, uh, pursue bodybuilding as a vegan? Um, you know, it was one of the earliest questions I had on my mind, which was, you know, I sat down with one of my friends who was a sports nutritionist um, and he was vegan himself actually. And I said, um, you know, like, I really, I, you know, I want to do this. I, this is a few months into being vegan. And I was like, I really want to do this. But like, I don't know if I'll be able to keep building muscle and getting a strong. Um, because, you know, it was unheard of really in bodybuilding. Um, there were a few people like, you know, Nima Delgado and Patrick Bububian in the strength, in the strength, um, in strength training that, you know, were vegan. Um, but it wasn't like there was lots and lots of vegan bodybuilders to kind of look at. And I thought, these are, these are individual guys. They managed to make it work. Am I going to make it work? I don't know. So it was always playing in my mind. But I thought the main thing to do is the main thing to do is um, have a plan, really. Have a plan with how you're going to eat and how you're going to train. 
because the most important thing for bodybuilding and for strength training is actually how you train. If your if your training isn't good enough, then you can eat all the animal products in the world. You can eat all the protein in the world. It's not going to make any any difference, a lick of difference really, um, to how, if you gain muscle or not. So the training is the main part. So I continued training hard, and that was the main thing: continuing to train hard. And then I really had to plan my diet well, which I think. You know, if you're if you're not really passionate about training and eating right, then that might be more difficult. So if someone is an, is eating animal products, they might find it a bit more easy because it's a bit more convenient. Whereas um, bodybuilding as a as a vegan, you know, whilst you're still training as hard, you might have to plan your meals a bit better. Especially if you're having to go out, it's not as it's not as easy to just pick up a high protein, you know, meal at a restaurant. You know, sometimes I'll go to a restaurant with friends and the vegan option is a potato dish or a pasta dish, which is great. Don't get me wrong, it's tastes great and it's probably really healthy um but is it going to serve me in my goal to gaining muscle when actually i need a meal that's quite balanced and, and a bit higher in protein probably not right so it's really working around that and planning around that which is what i found a bit challenging you know like despite all of that i was able to get in kind of the best shape of my life like in 2019 um one of my friends who's vegan now but back then he wasn't he kind of sort of challenged me and said you know let's see if you can get in kind of bodybuilding like stage ready shape on a vegan diet so i thought okay fine and i managed to do that um and then there was a photo you know we did a photo shoot and it ended up getting picked up by men's health online which you know in my wildest dreams i didn't imagine that i could get on men's health uh you know not the main magazine that would have been amazing but it was online and i didn't think that I would ever get on you know something so big like that when especially as a vegan you know even when i was eating animal products i didn't think i could do it but managed to do it as a vegan which just shows that it's not you know, it doesn't matter if you're vegan or not. The main thing is that you are training hard and eating in the right way to make sure that you build muscle and continue to progress in the gym. Yeah, and I encourage everybody to go to your Instagram and check those out because you have the images on your Instagram, right? At Dr. Iron yeah, yeah. Junkie. Is that what your, Junkie, yeah. your Instagram handle is? <laughs> yeah, it's very <laughs> yeah. impressive. Very impressive, got to say. I mean, bodybuilding is such an interesting thing you know like wow it, it just mm. seems like it's a lot of work and like you said you have to put a lot of planning into it you have to really be deliberate mm. and thoughtful about it um so tell me a little bit more about your experience with protein i mean you've mentioned protein a few times i think mm -hmm. in the plant-based community we're starting to get kind of two extremes in the people that mm. say you know you don't have to worry about protein at all to the people that say you can't get enough protein if you eat beans. So mm -hmm. where, given your personal experience mm -hmm. with bodybuilding and building muscle, also knowing that most people are not trying to do that, right? So most people are just trying yeah. to get enough calories and protein to just do their regular like 30-minute elliptical thing and you know do, do their normal life yeah. right so most people are not trying yeah. to look like a bodybuilder that gets into men's health online but given what you know how has your opinion about protein evolved or changed can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah it's really interesting um actually that question because you're right there are two extremes one on one side you have people saying that protein really doesn't matter you you'll get enough provided you get enough calories and then you've got the other side saying you need to eat huge amounts um so there are a few kind of so people know what protein is you know it's macronutrient um it's one of the main three out of fats carbohydrates and proteins the other one that we get in our diet um and it protein is made up of long chain of amino acids um 
and we need to make sure we get um, nine of these amino acids from our diet. They're called essential amino acids. Now, when people set kind of the protein uh, recommendations, the RDA for protein for someone who's quite sedentary, not doing much, is set at 0.8 grams per kilogram, which is quite low if you think about it. Um, but that RDA, people have come to mistake it to mean that's what we should aim for, whereas that RDA was set to prevent deficiency. Okay, so the average person isn't really trying to prevent deficiency here. So when the when people like the, when when organizations like the World Health Organization set a target of zero point eight grams per kilogram, they're trying to target people that where food is scarce and they're just trying to prevent them from becoming deficient. Obviously, if we're trying to thrive and we're trying to optimize our health, then I personally think we should aim for a bit higher, um, about at least a gram, if not more, uh, like gram to one point two grams per kilogram per, um, body weight. Um, the reason being that we know that protein uh, helps uh, muscle building. We know that, obviously. Protein uh, helps with bone mineral density, so it helps you um, it helps keep your bones strong as we age as well. Uh, it's not just needed for muscles. It's needed for other processes in the body as well. So when I was going back to talking about what protein is made up of, of these amino acids, uh, when you eat protein, you end up breaking them down into these amino acids, and then you absorb them, and then your body knows to make different proteins from the amino acids, right? Um and as I said, nine of them are essential amino acids, and we we can't we have to get them from our diet. We can't make these. Um, and these essential amino acids, uh, as I said, come from our food. The important one for muscle building is called leucine, right? If you're not eating enough protein, you probably won't get enough of the essential amino acids, which means you probably won't get enough of one of these essential amino acids called leucine, which helps to trigger muscle protein synthesis. So if you're trying to build muscle, if you're trying to, if you're an athlete, you know, if you're trying to get stronger uh, for athletic performance or whether it's built, being a bodybuilder, then you do need higher levels of protein. And just to make sure that you get enough of the essential amino acids and you get enough of the leucine as well, because um, you need about two to three grams of leucine per meal uh, to maximally trigger what we call muscle protein synthesis. Um, and that usually corresponds to a meal of about 20 to 40 grams of protein depending on your size which is why we say that if you're trying to build muscle you should aim for 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight which sounds quite high but really it's not that high um you know for the for the average person that's getting about 100 to 120 grams of protein a day which is not that difficult um on a plant-based diet you again need to plan it a bit more so that's what you'd have to do um so say for people that are like just on the elliptical there's still a benefit of eating slightly higher protein levels because we know it's muscle sparing. It helps you hang on to muscle. Um, people should be doing resistance exercise anyway. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. I think uh, um, you know most health organizations will tell you that whilst also doing cardiovascular exercises, things that work your heart and your lungs, you should be doing some resistance training and, and strength training um, a couple times a week um, to make sure that you're uh, building muscle because um, as we age, we know we lose muscle. Okay, so it's good to have some muscle there beforehand, so that we prevent that frailty as we get older. It also helps load the bones. It prevents um, things like osteoporosis, which is when your bone um, density uh, goes down as you age, um, which increases your risk of fractures. So we know that resistance training can help prevent that as well. And also, you know, getting stronger makes you less frail. You're more likely to be able to be functional as you age as well, which is great. Um, it doesn't just look good, <laughs> you know, having that extra muscle, but, you know, it makes you feel good and actually perform better as well. So I think aiming for slightly higher than that low, low RDA, you know, one one to 1.2 grams per kilogram 
And then if you're really, if you're an athlete and you're trying to muscle build, then it's between 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, and that will ensure that you're kind of uh, maximally, um, or you're optimally at least trying to uh, activate muscle protein synthesis and build that new muscle tissue. Yes, and I completely agree that we should aim to do resistance training at least twice per week, which is what our guidelines say. But, you know, if you do more, that's even better because we know that muscle is one of those big markers of longevity as well. So we want to protect our muscle mass. If we're planning to be here for decades and decades and decades, we want to do what we can. And that's also become very important to me because I'm 43 and I started realizing Kind of once I started hitting that early 40s, I was like, ooh, my body's changing. And I had kind of fallen off with my strength training. So I got back in the gym and now I'm doing powerlifting myself and seeing nice. some good improvements. But I feel like the older you are, when you start again, it takes longer to make those gains than when you're younger. So for all of my listeners, just start wherever you are and don't stop. I think the most important thing is consistency. Because if you get in there and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to bulk up and, you know, go for a good two, three months. Yeah, it's good. But the most important thing is do whatever you can to be able to maintain a consistency in strength training. Like if you're an all or nothing person, you go in there and you get all sore and injured and you hurt yourself and you drop off, that's not going to be as helpful as, you know, taking it slow, going up slowly. You know, you still want to get that stress on your muscles, but you really want to aim for consistency of this practice of strength training. So thank you for all of that. That was really, really good information. So given that, I'd love to know Mm -hmm. for you, and I don't know right now if you're doing any training for bodybuilding or you're kind of more focusing on job and stuff right now, but I would love to know what a day of eating looks like for you. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. 
A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now, back to the episode. So currently, uh, I guess I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to build muscle slowly. So just going back to the consistency thing, you're right. Like you want to consistently, progressively overload. So you want to progressively get stronger over time. Uh, and to do that, you need to make sure you're eating enough calories, enough protein. So at the moment, I'm not really counting my calories or anything like that. I would only really ever do that if I was trying to really diet down for a, for a goal in a short amount of time. Um, so for me, it's mainly just ensuring that I'm getting, as I said, 30 to 40 grams, of, well, 20 to 40 grams of protein per meal, just to make sure I get my daily target of protein, um, getting enough carbohydrates and getting enough healthy fats. So I'm a creature of habit when it comes to breakfast. So my breakfast is usually a big bowl of um, porridge oats um, with a scoop of plant-based protein in there. Um, usually I'll sprinkle like some hemp seeds or chia seeds or ground flax seeds in there as well for the healthy fats. Sometimes some peanut butter or almond butter, again, for the healthy fats. Um, and a handful of frozen berries. Um, again, berries are a great source of kind of antioxidants, polyphenols, which helps recovery uh, as well. So, you know, it's a great way to get a really, you know, a really nutritious, nutritious and um, protein-rich um complex carb-rich, fiber-rich, and healthy fat-rich breakfast is that bowl of porridge in the morning. I tend to eat that after I've trained because I try and train before uh, before work because it gets a bit difficult when you're finishing late and things. So um, I try and train before work and I'll have that for breakfast. And then lunchtime will be, you know, I normally get like, I always go by a kind of source of protein, source of like vegetables and a source of healthy um, carbohydrates. So for me, the protein source will be um, tofu or tempeh as well as like a handful or a serving of um, beans, legumes, or lentils. Uh, I try to get at least two servings of legumes a day um, or more. Um, and then there'll be like a, a serving of green vegetables, uh, like leafy green vegetables like broccoli or asparagus or kale. Um, and then the carb source will either be like black rice, quinoa, um, sweet potato. I love sweet potato. So it'll be a serving of a potato of some kind. Um, usually it's a sweet potato. Um, and then I do tend to have a snack between my lunch and my dinner. Um, you know, I don't tend to snack throughout the day like some people do. I don't see the, I personally don't see the point of doing that. Like you don't need to keep feeding. We're not, we're not rodents, you know, um, I prefer to eat discrete meals. So it's either breakfast, lunch, and then I used to call it meal three, but now it's more of a snack, which is, it's usually like soy based yogurt with a, again, I put like a half scoop of protein in there just to up the protein a little bit. Again, it seems like I'm just using a lot of protein but when you look at the actual numbers it's not that much it's, you're using it as a supplement to supplement the diet the actual diet the food is there itself so the soy um soy yogurt with like um, a handful of fruit again a handful of nuts it's just a little snack to get me through to dinner which tends to be very similar to lunch so again 
usually it would be like something like a stir fry with um, whole wheat noodles or wild rice or black rice with um, lots of vegetables. And then again, the protein source would be something like tofu or tempeh, maybe seitan. Sometimes I use textured vegetable protein as well, which is made of soy. It's like this, de- I don't know if you've used it, it's like this dehydrated um, textured soy, which then you kind of rehydrate and then plump up and then you can put it into any recipe and it's great. Um, and it's really it's a really good hit of protein again. So, you know, make sure I get enough throughout the day. I'm not really counting what I'm eating, um, kind of because I've been doing this for so long. I tend to be able to look at food and I can tell roughly how much it is. Um, and I kind of gauge it by like how my performance is in the gym. So if I'm getting stronger week on week, if I'm, you know, looking different, if I if I feel like I'm putting on too much body fat, then maybe I'll scale back something a bit. If I look like I'm if I feel like I'm not getting stronger, then I'll, I'll increase the calories a bit or kind of have a look at my sleep. So it's become more intuitive now, I guess, than anything else. Um, whereas I guess when you're starting out, it helps to really plan and know what you're doing and maybe even maybe even hire a coach. Um, I personally have only ever hired a coach when I had my friend helping me in 2019. But, you know, for most people, having a coach is really good. It's a good way to keep accountable and keep consistent as well. So, yeah, that's a typical typical day of eating. It sounds delicious. I love it. That's, I mean, it all sounds wonderful and something that I would definitely eat myself in my routine. And I have used textured vegetable protein and I actually use it quite a bit because I really like it because it's Mm. so convenient. I love that it's shelf stable and I've actually found Mm -hmm. it made of different things. So of course, soy is going to be the most common source of textured vegetable protein. But now you can find chickpea and lentil and uh, pea textured vegetable protein. So, And it comes in all kinds of different shapes and you can use it all different ways. I love it. I love it especially for Taco Tuesday. I get the little meatless crumbles and there's one that's like a, you know, a green pea meatless crumbles and it's dried, but then you rehydrate it. And then you season it just like you would anything else. And it's really convenient for a fast meal when I'm making Taco Tuesday over here. So thanks for bringing that up because I think that that's like a little hack that I haven't talked about a lot because I love having those things that are convenient, but also health promoting. And I actually would consider it. I mean, it is something that is made in a factory, but it's a single ingredient. It's only one ingredient. So it's not like it's got all of these additives or anything like that. It's just the way that it's processed, it's processed to be made more convenient and more dense in protein. So I think that's a, a good thing to use. I don't know if you, you probably have these as well, like uh, pea and uh, bean-based pastas and spaghetti. So um, yes, yes. Like actual, yeah, I mean, those are so high in protein and again, really high in fiber. Again, they've been, you know, they've been processed, but they, again, a single ingredient food, which is usually a lentil flour or... Um, a pea, pea flour or um, uh, bean flour basically just shaped into a pasta shape and it holds its shape when you cook it and again it's it's a great way to get fiber it's a great way to get protein in um, and it's, it looks, they're quite low on calories as well compared to what they are they're lower in carbohydrates as well so if someone is trying to scale back on how many carbohydrates they're eating for whatever reason um, it's a great way of getting a high protein and healthy meal as well so I thought you would just add that just because you mentioned the pea based uh, vegetable protein yeah no that's great we have a brand here i don't know if they have it there in the uk it's called bonza b-a-n-z-a and it's chickpea based and it's so delicious and they sell it at some of the big stores like costco and things like that here 
But I also encourage it for parents too, because parents are always worried that their kids are like, you know, quote, carb addicts. I'm not worried about that, but parents are. Mm. But if they want, you know, kids love pasta. It's mm. most kids will eat pasta and choosing these different kinds of bean pasta products will also help you get more diversity in the diet. So you're not just getting wheat all the time. You can get the chickpea or the lentil or the black bean pastas and they're fun. They come in different shapes. You can use different sauces. So it's just another creative way to get more diversity in your child's diet and, you know, different combination of uh, macronutrients there. All right. So what are some common myths or misconceptions about protein that you encounter? I feel like this could be like a podcast episode on its own. Uh, um so many myths okay fine so i guess the one common one we see is uh, that plants don't have protein uh, or you can't get enough protein from plants which we know is nonsense because if you eat the right plant foods you'll get plenty of protein from them so if you're eating stuff like tofu tempeh uh seitan textured vegetable protein these bean-based pastas uh, even you can even get lentil-based rice now as well so all these things will have a large amount of protein but then also other plant foods also provide protein like whole wheat bread um anything that's whole wheat really um you know things that have seeds in it nuts these all these things will have protein so you can easily get enough protein on a plant-based diet and you know even if you wanted to you could supplement as well so this is without supplementation you can get all this stuff easily um the next myth kind of follows on from that one which is okay fine you can get protein from plants but it's uh it's not complete anyway and you can't get the all the essential amino acids from from plants anyway you can only get it from meat which is again nonsense because plants contain all essential amino acids um the only thing is that they contain them in varying amounts so depending on the plant source you're looking at there may be some one amino acid that's slightly lower it's still there but slightly lower that just means that you need to make sure you're eating a variety of plant foods throughout the day to make sure that you're getting all the essential amino acids you need. Okay. Um, so provided you do that, you will get all the essential amino acids. So this myth about plants not containing them is just false. Um, they do contain them, but just different amounts. Um, that actually brings me to another myth, which is linked to that, which is that you have to combine plant proteins at mealtimes. Um, again, that's something that was a myth that came from the 1970s. I think it was a, a French author wrote this, um, that you have to combine plant proteins at meals. She's since kind of reversed her decision on this as well. So provided you, you know, this is where the whole myth of eating beans with rice came from. And a lot of cultures do that, just um, kind of, uh, just they do it um, without even thinking about it. Um, it's almost just innate that they, a lot of cultures will eat a grain and a, and a legume together because they complement each other. Um, so grains tend to be um, lower in something called lysine, one of the amino acids, and higher in methionine, whereas beans and legumes are, um, higher in the lysine and lower in the methionine. So if you combine the two at mealtime, you'll get the complete picture. But you don't have to do this. We know that if, as long as you eat a varied source throughout the day, you will get all the essential amino acids you need and your body does the rest. Um, common one I hear about protein, again, <laughs> is that too much protein is bad for your kidneys. So this is coming from the low-protein camp. They say that you should eat lower protein because if you eat too much protein, it harms your kidneys. Now, Again, there's no evidence for this. Um, what evidence we do have is patients with chronic kidney disease or renal failure, they tend to have better health outcomes if they lower their protein intake. So if they are put on a low-protein diet, then their progression of renal disease or their progression towards being on dialysis 
or needing a transplant is is is, is lower if if they um or is slower rather if they're on a lower protein diet whereas people with healthy functioning kidneys uh no other medical issues tend to be fine on high protein diets and even going as high as three grams per kilo not saying i'm saying you should do that um doesn't have any negative health benefits which brings you to another myth which is more is better no eating more protein is not going to be better for you there's no protein is not some magical compound that will suddenly make you look like arnold schwarzenegger if you eat it you need to train hard in the gym um that's the main thing no matter how much protein you eat if you're not training hard in the gym it's going to do nothing you're just going to pee it out <laughs> you're not going to do anything with it you'll absorb it and then your your body will use it for something else if you if it has no reason to build muscle then it won't do that so you need to make sure you're training hard enough and then eat the right amount of protein which as we said is 1.6 grams per kilogram um beyond that there's no real significant um benefit to consuming more protein i would say that if you're dieting and in a calorie deficit, so you're eating lower calories, so you're in a state where you're you need more energy, um, sometimes increasing that protein intake to about 1.8 to 2.2 grams um, is better because it helps you hold on to the muscle when dieting. But if you're if you're eating enough calories, you know you're you're you you make sure you're getting enough energy throughout the day, and the aim is to build 1.6 is fine. Anything above that is just extra. So more is definitely not better in that sense. And making sure you train is the main thing. Um, one last myth, and then we'll stop there, is soy is bad for you. I had to, I had to throw that one in there. And I know you've had uh, Dr. Nitu Bajakal on before talking about soy, I think. So um, I won't go into too much detail, but soy is not bad for you. Um, people say it's bad for you, or bad for men especially, because it contains these things called phytoestrogens. Um Phytoestrogens are actually everywhere. They're in lots of plant foods. Red wine has phytoestrogen. Uh, Revestrol, the, the kind of compound that all these people that love red wine keep going on about, uh, that's a phytoestrogen. So if we're going to if we're gonna de uh, de uh, demonize soy, we should demonize all these other foods. Oats have phytoestrogens in them. Phytoestrogens are just plant compounds uh, that the structure of it looks similar to mammalian estrogen. That's it. That's why they're called phytoestrogens. There's no other reason. It's because they look and they can weakly bind to estrogen receptors in the body. Now, what they do when they bind is completely different to what normal estrogen does, and they have different effects in the body. And what we care about is the health outcome. So from from everything I've read, um, you know, populations that consume soy products in, in normal amounts, especially in Asia, tend to have better health outcomes. They have lower risk, lower rates of heart disease. They have, uh, again, it has lower um, cholesterol lowering effects as well. And it's actually part of the portfolio diet to lower cholesterol. So we know soy is good for you there. It has, uh, it's been shown to have lower um, risk of prostate cancer in people that consume soy, um, increased breast, breast cancer survival rates. So there's lots of positives that we can see with consuming soy products. And we think this may be coming from the phytoestrogens. Um, there certainly is no negative aspect of, eat, of consuming these phytoestrogens in normal amounts. So men are not going to get low testosterone from it. There's no studies that show that. They're not going to develop gynecomastia or male breast tissue. It's not going to happen. Um, unless you're consuming, you know, like I think there was one case study where someone was consuming about four liters of uh, soy milk, and he just happened to develop uh, breast tissue. It was one case study, and from that case study has has come so many different articles just with this perpetual myth about um, the negative uh, aspects of soy, and it's just it's really unfairly demonized because you know most vegans have been consuming soy for ages, and you know. Asia, um, you know, China, Japan, and other countries around that area have been consuming soy for thousands of years with no with no detriment. So, it's definitely not not the demon that it's made out to be. 
Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy. It's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun and you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to and they send you seed quilts every month so you don't run out you can change what seed quilts you want to try so here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have hearty broccoli refreshing cabbage energizing kale spicy daikon radish super salad mix you can even get wheatgrass you can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard so there's lots to choose from they have different flavors they're so cute and they're health promoting so you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful i also use them for garnish when i'm making soups and salads and different bowls you can impress your guests but like i said it's going to be low energy cost on your part and it's actually not that expensive either the other thing that i use from hamama is a green onion growing kit which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste so you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root the white part at the bottom you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows and then you can keep eating the same green onions you just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food so if you want to give it a try you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Yeah, that's such good information. And just to for people to know that case studies are not controlled trials. And they have lots of variables and lots of confounding factors. So we can't really draw effective conclusions from case studies anyway, because there could have been other things. Now we know that actually things like lavender, you know, topical lavender for some people, um, for some children can actually result in breast tissue too. So there's things that you could be doing in your environment that could be affecting you, not, not the soy and definitely not the more whole forms of soy, the minimally processed forms of soy in 
amounts that a typical human would consume them. So you're doing, you know, something extreme, which there's always going to be one person or another, like that one lady that was drinking gallons and gallons and gallons of broccoli juice, and it led to problems. So, but yeah, I wanted to go really um, quick back to one of the other myths that you were talking about, which you addressed earlier in the episode as well, which is, yes, protein is important. Protein matters. But if you're trying to build muscle, you can't just eat protein and expect your muscles are going to get bigger. And I will say as a pediatrician, I have lots of adorable teen boys that come to me and they're like, Dr. Yami, I want to build muscle. Tell me how much protein I need to eat. My first question is, are you lifting weights? And usually they're like, well... I'm, I'm going to start going to the gym. I plan to start next month. And I was like, okay, well, that's the first step. <laughs> start lifting the weights first. <laughs> so, um, so I love it how the teen boys, they get super excited. And their first focus is like, how do I get more protein? But they're not actually I was the same. You know, doing the resistance training yet. <laughs> I was the same. I still remember the first protein shake I bought. I drank that. It was terrible. I was like 16 years old. I drank it. I was not training hard enough to be drinking that stuff. There was no need. And I was eating so many animal products. I was eating so much protein. There was no point. So more is definitely not better. You know, sometimes less is more. Sometimes yeah. less is more. Yes. And you got you to gotta lift the weights. Okay. So let's transition real quick into a topic that, you know, might be a little bit more difficult, but I just kind of want to address the reality of the situation and that's body image. And obviously... Your pictures are amazing and you you were able to take your body to a place that is not a typical thing right like people aren't just walking around like this normally without having to put a lot of effort and thought and persistence into it so i can imagine that spending so much time focusing on this may have some effects on the way that you see yourself. So I'm just curious about your journey with body image and being a bodybuilder and being in the plant-based community. Has it ever been a struggle for you? Yeah, hugely. It's, a, it's, such, a, it's such a good question. And it's really, it's a, as you said, it's really interesting. And you're right. When, when a bodybuilder, you know, any bodybuilder um, pushes himself to that place, um, it's an extreme. It's definitely a place where you don't want to be there for too long. Getting there is a difficult journey because you've, you've you spent all this time building the muscle and then to strip the fat away to show it. You have to diet for a long period of time. You're kind of depriving your body of food, essentially. You're, 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 you're restricting yourself so much of calories whilst also training just as hard in the gym to keep the muscle there whilst also doing extra cardiovascular activity and, and walking around to try and burn extra energy to lose body fat. So you're really doing something that the body does not want to do. And the body responds in a way which it, you know, it tells you it really doesn't like it. You know, I, so personally, I'll talk about my experience. Um, you know, I was when I was uh, I wasn't able to get, you know, the first six, it was a 13 week process for me to get that lean. The first six weeks were fine because I was, you know, I had enough body fat to get me feeling OK. And then as soon as it started getting what I would call a bit a bit freakish, <laughs> Um, talking about myself, so that's fine. Um, it, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I was, my sleep was suffering. So I was waking up middle of the night, um, probably looking for food. Like my, my mind was probably thinking, you need to go eat something, but 
I was waking up and trying to get back to sleep, struggling with that. I was cold all the time. I did this in the middle of July over here where the it's it's summer and the temperature is like over 20 degrees Celsius. So it's it's quite warm, but I was freezing. I was always in a hoodie. I was always cold. Um, and even in August where it was the height of our summer, I was freezing cold because I didn't have any body fat because my thyroid function was probably really bad as well. I didn't get a test at the time, but it was probably really bad. Libido goes, you know, right through the floor. You're not, you're not, you know, the, sex is the last thing on your mind when when you're in that state you know you, you just, it's not a healthy place to be so that's the physical sides of it but then as you you were talking about kind of the body image of it as well it's like when you see yourself in the mirror and you see your body look the way it does you can't help but think wow like you know i look like a bit of a superhero right now um and then coming out of that and actually having to having to gain body fat back because you have to because that's what's going to be healthy for you it really plays in your mind because you think, oh, I don't look like how I did anymore. And you never really see yourself the same way again. And that takes a long time to kind of come to terms with the fact that you can't stay looking like you did. You can't stay looking like, you know, with veins everywhere and like really cut six pack abs because you didn't feel good during that time. Your body wasn't healthy during that time. So I would tell listeners to like kind of be aware when they're, you know, when they're scrolling on social media and they're looking at kind of bodybuilders um, looking the way they do. It's impressive, sure, but don't think for a second that they are super healthy and super happy with at the time that they've taken those photos. A lot of them aren't. Um, some people use performance-enhancing drugs as well, which, you know, it's the industry, and as long as people are open about it and using them safely, then fine, that's their business. But I don't promote it because, obviously, there are so many negative health aspects towards using performance-enhancing drugs. But, you know, what drives them there is usually that, that desire to look that way and you know a lot of people scrolling for social media will do anything sometimes to look that way and what i would say is be careful of how you kind of think uh, about someone's health by just judging what they look like because when i was that you know ripped six pack I, w I wouldn't call myself healthy at the time you know i was actually really weak as well I'd, when you're when you've dieted that hard you start losing muscle strength as well you know so if your aim is to thrive and be you know really good at performing athletically you know, peak bodybuilding condition is the worst time for that, um, for health-wise. And then, yeah, of course, it plays into your into your cycle of how you look. And then, as I said, when, when I was coming out of it, I never really looked at myself the same way. And it's interesting when you think about how um, others view you as well, you know, because other people would see my photo and be really impressed by it. And they kind of, you get that positive um, positive feedback, that positive affirmation that, you, you, you know, you look good, which makes you think, well, if I don't look like that, when I look the way I look now would people really care about what I have to say will people want to listen to me will people uh value me you're almost ascribing value to your physical appearance and it really messes with your head and you know if you're if you're not someone that is able to reflect on these things you know through, either through journaling or talking about it then you can really suffer you know you can really your mental health can really suffer you can get really bad body image issues and you never really are able to accept yourself because you're constantly thinking that people are judging you for how you look and people do that inadvertently speak and talk about your appearance, right? Like, you know, when you're looking in shape, people say, wow, you're looking in shape. Or when when you haven't been going to the gym for a while, people will be like, oh, what happened? You stopped training? Or I thought you go, I thought, I thought you go to the gym, you know? And people will judge you of how you look. Um, and I think for being vegan as well, there's, a, there's an extra kind of, not baggage, but almost an like extra weight that comes with it that you want to kind of um, portray yourself um, as someone who is healthy and vital and looks good as well. 
um, almost because you're a, a bastion or a, or a steward for veganism. You're trying to like promote this healthy diet, which it is. It's a great, great lifestyle and it's a great healthy diet. Um, but if you're not looking how someone might think a healthy person should look, you might get judged as well. So that's also another interesting kind of extra aspect to the whole body bodybuilding body image issues as well the fact that you know i'm vegan as well when if if i don't look a certain way if i don't look good enough people might say oh it's because he's vegan that's why that's why he hasn't got the muscle <laughs> you know it definitely definitely does play into my head sometimes and you kind of have to just be like block it all out and look at the reality of things which is look i'm on my journey this is my personal journey i know i know more about myself than anyone ever will and what i have to say and what um what value I can bring otherwise is more important than how I look. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely been a journey of kind of a lot of self-reflection and kind of just coming to terms with all of it as well. But yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, my goodness. Thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable because I know that this is a complex topic with so many different layers. And I just really appreciate your honesty because it's something that I suspected that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's very similar to how I felt going through my disordered eating years. But there's even more pressure, I think, as a bodybuilder. But I think it's so ironic what you were talking about is like, oh my gosh, you look like this ripped action figure superhero. And, and obviously part of that is this portrayal of sexuality, right? Like this masculinity, virility, but then you're like, my body fat's so low. I have such low calorie intake that I don't even want to have sex. You yeah. know, like, isn't it was, that ironic? <laughs> it was it, it, literally, I, I laughed a good while about, <laughs> I'm going to, I don't mind sharing this at the time. It was like, I look so good, but no one's going to get to see this. <laughs> no one's going to get to see this because I don't want them to see this. Like, <laughs> I'm okay, you know, it was really you funny. Wanna, I was like, I guess this is just, get this in is bed just for me. With a blanket and some, I you know, like warm. a big yeah. bowl of rice. <laughs> just, oh, you, you just want to make the, love to a big bowl of rice, right? <laughs> any, any, any food at that, any food at that point. It was, I think the dis, the disordered eating that you brought up is an important part of it as well because, um, the kind of the body dysmorphia, the bodybuilding, definitely goes hand in hand with. Um, a, a disordered form of eating you know you're constantly looking at food you're constantly looking at labels you're I'm so food focused you're kind of always just focusing on your neck because you're so hungry you, your hunger signals are all over the place you're constantly just thinking about food but then at the same time you're like oh i don't want to you know i don't want to put on it's definitely a disordered form of eating you know it's and it's not i think it's it's yeah. starting to get talked about more now which is really good because you know at the same you know we're trying to promote health and fitness to people because we know it's a pillar of lifestyle medicine you know movement physical activity healthy nutrition is a pillar of lifestyle medicine um but you can't you can't then say that you know being a bodybuilder or getting that sort of shape is going to be good for people you know so i don't i don't recommend people get aim to get in that sort of shape um i think it's i think it's a it's a it's a sport and if if, if you want to do it then hey go for it but just know what you're getting into and have a plan um, just so you, you don't suffer when you're doing it. Because, yeah, if you're if you're getting in there without a plan in place, it's there's, there's a it's a recipe for disaster, really. Do you have any regrets about it at all? Oh, no, definitely not. Because <laughs> it, it taught me <laughs> so like, much, I guess. You're like, despite all that, I, I'm still glad I did it. <laughs> have you seen the photos? No, 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 no. 
no I think yeah for me no for me I think it was I always wanted to see like how far I could push it um and it's weird because I think I could have pushed it further um but we had like a deadline for the photo shoot and I kind of became and I was like okay fine we're doing it that's it and then it was over and then it was coming out of that which was the hardest part actually um so definitely have no regrets because it taught me a lot more about kind of how low did your body fat percentage get so we never really measured it with a dexa scan which is the most accurate way of measuring i never really used that but on on calipers i think like i was getting readings of like i think like three three millimeters and stuff it was it was basically the back of my hand how thin that skin is there that's how thin it was pretty much everywhere except for my like glutes and lower back which is the hardest place to lose it from which is when you're doing it naturally as well it's it's really difficult you know and you know i think i've only seen my, one of my friends uh get in better shape in terms of how lean he was he was even leaner like he had striations going down his glute muscles which was just crazy um so i was i stopped a few <sighs> weeks shy of that um but yeah it's just not like i said it's it's visually it's um it's person it just it's just the furthest thing from what you'd want to do really and yeah it's it's definitely no regrets because it it was an interesting experience um you're kind of alone a lot with your thoughts um a lot of time spent kind of walking and exercising and kind of you're quite you're very focused on this one goal as well so i learned a lot from it um so i think it was a very good it was definitely a, a good experience well that's such good insight and i was thinking as you were talking about it that I feel like, yeah, I mean, if people want to do this, I really think that they should think about it like an extreme sport. Just like if you're base jumping or free soloing or any of those things, like, yes, there's people in this world that want to do those extreme sports, but we have to understand that it comes with a, a large amount of risk as well. It's not like climbing mountains without ropes is not a safe or normal thing to do. And so trying to get down to these like super low body fat percentages, yes, as humans, we can do it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this is an ideal or healthy thing to do, especially like you were saying, staying there. Like nobody would expect you to stay there because you would probably just go crazy, you know, like it would, it would, at some point you'd probably just start ripping into bags of food, you know, <laughs> like, because your body's starving, you don't have enough body fat, you know? Yeah. So I think that was such good yeah. insight. And I'm so glad that you were able to be so honest and vulnerable, vulnerable about it. So let's wrap it up. This has been such a great conversation. I would love to know, what do you wish more people knew? So I'll answer this is two ways, because I want, I wish more people knew something about when it comes to veganism and then we'll do one about muscle building as well. So I think, I think when it comes to veganism, I'm, I wish more people knew how to do it in a, in a healthy way so that they were able to stick to it. So a lot of people end up going vegan and they struggle with it um, because they don't know what to eat. They don't supplement intelligently. Um, they don't eat enough of the right things and then they suffer, their health suffers, they feel awful and then they end up quitting and they blame veganism for it um, when really it was a lack of education on how to do it properly. So I guess what I wish more people knew is if you're gonna if you're gonna go vegan, great, but please, please, please educate yourself on how to do it safely and properly um, to optimize your diet in a way that's going to be healthy for you um, and 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 better for you in the long term as well. You know, don't rush into it. Make any kind of you know. I, I think a lot of people do rush into it and then they kind of fall off. Whereas I think people should take it more as a this is a long term approach. 
uh, learn more about it, speak to experts if you want to, speak to people that have been doing it for years um, and really approach it from a point of view that I want to learn as much as I can about it to make sure I do it in the best way. So that's why I wish more people knew about veganism. Um, when it came to muscle building, I think I wish more people, including myself when I, back in the day, I wish more people knew actually how to train to build muscle. Um, they feel like they haven't got time to go to the gym, but when they go, they, they're kind of wasting their time, which is why they may not even see results because they're just kind of doing stuff in there without without a clue, which is, you know, no disrespect to them. It's it's difficult. It's a new skill. You're trying to, you, you should kind of really learn how to do it properly. Um, either get guided by a personal trainer or a friend who's been doing it for ages that knows what they're talking about. Uh, but again, it's about education, knowing knowing what to do in the gym to make sure that you get the maximum results uh, and, and put with, by putting in the minimum time needed as well. And again, staying consistent, you know, being realistic with your goals as well. A lot of people think when they go to the gym in a couple of weeks, they're going to come out looking like Superman when really it, it takes years and years to build good. That it's, it's the long game, being consistent and actually training correctly with good form to stay injury-free and healthy. And, and that way the gym can be a, a really good tool to stay healthy for longer as well. Uh, I love that. That is so wise to say that. And that is something that I just only recently actually truly understood. Now, I will say that genetically, my body has the ability to put on muscle pretty fast. And especially the younger I was, I could put on muscle very quickly. And now that I'm older, it's taking a little bit longer. But I kind of was under the impression that I would have bigger changes faster. And now I realize that it is about having patience and consistency. And it will come if you keep putting in the work, but you can't give up. That's the problem. You can't give up and keep restarting because you're going to lose it. And then you have to come back and, and build it again. But working with my strength and conditioning coach, I realized it has taken him like a decade to get to lifting what he can lift. It does. It's not like something that just happens in six months, even like 10 years. So, you know, it's one of those things that you really have to, you have to be thinking about the long-term goals that you have and what you're wanting, you know, for your body and your longevity. So that's really great. Well, Dr. Patel, you're fabulous. I just have loved learning from you. Thank you for giving us information. Thank you for giving us your story and, and for also being open with us. I would love to know where my listeners can connect with you and learn more about you. Junkie. Um, don't ask me about the name. <laughs> I came up with it when I was like 18 and it's stuck. Uh, there's no way back now. So Dr. Iron Junkie. Um, and it's spelled exactly how it sounds on Instagram and on Twitter as well. Um, you can find me there. And yeah, I'm open to open the messages if you if you really want some advice as well. So yeah. Okay, so last question. Leave us with your number one tip for vegans that want to build muscle. I guess you've got to train hard enough. You know, you have to give all the plant-based protein and supplements in the world. It's not going to do anything. So train hard enough and give the muscle the reason to grow. I love it. Oh, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. I'm keeping you up late. You need to get your rest. So thank you so much for everything. I appreciate everything you do and for sharing your story. And I hope that you have a very plantastic night and then also a very plantastic day tomorrow. Thank you so much. It's a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor, 
please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.